Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the WPB Health Consulting Podcast, where we bring clarity to coaching. I'm Austin, your host. On today's podcast, we're going to discuss the practical application to creatine supplementation. Our mission at WPB Health Consulting is to provide clarity to coaching. We focus on ways to bring healthcare practitioners to you. Our vision is that you'll be able to increase your awareness to misinformation. On today's podcast, we will guide you on how to educate yourself within coaching and the practical application of creatine. On today's podcast, we're going to have Dr. Scott Forbes. Dr. Scott Forbes is an associate professor in the Department of Physical Education Studies at Brandon University and an adjunct professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Health Studies at the University of Regina. Dr. Forbes is a certified sports nutritionist and has completed the International Olympic Committee Diploma in Sports Nutrition. Lastly, he is a Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology, Clinical Exercise Physiologist, and Performance Specialist. His research examines various nutritional and exercise interventions to enhance your performance or function in a variety of populations. That's a long introduction, but guys, get super excited because Dr. Forbes is the man to talk about creatine with. We will dispel all myths behind creatine and discuss the true practical application of how you can enhance your performance now and into the future. Now, if you have any questions or concerns, please reach out and contact us. Lastly, enjoy today's podcast as we discuss creatine and bringing clarity to coaching. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining the WPB Health Consulting Podcast. This is Austin, your host. And today we have a very special guest here, Dr. Scott Forbes, and he is going to talk about his specialty in creatine here today. Um, he is a professor and also a very a well-researched fellow in the field of creatine. And we've had several uh, previous podcast um, individuals who have recommended him and talking about creatine here on the podcast. And we are so excited to hear what he has to say for us. So uh, Dr. Scott, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more uh, about yourself? Yeah, so I'm also actually a, a clinical exercise physiologist, uh, similar to yourself, but through uh, our Canadian organization, it's called CSEP, Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology. Um, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm an associate professor at Brandon University in Canada. It's kind of in the middle of Canada in Manitoba. Not a lot of people come to our university, but uh, we've uh, definitely been um, able to publish some, some pretty cool findings and kind of touch all uh, aspects of the world with regards to our creatine research. Um, so that's my main focus, uh, especially for the last, I'd say, 10 years or so. I've published quite a few studies on creatine supplementation, and it's covered the gamut from younger individuals trying to enhance performance um, to aging adults to clinical populations um, and not only the effects on on muscle but also the effects on bone and brain health as well yeah yeah so i think one of the things i really want to highlight is um, your guys's research and and specifically your studies that you've published um, is amazing like you said you cover such a wide variety of applicable topics for creatine. And, and like you said, it's not necessarily just about um, muscle, but also brain function and uh, bone health. But yeah, you covered the spectrum from athletes to older adults, especially in clinical exercise physiology. That's something that um, I think needs to be more addressed is with the use of creatine personally. Um, but could you explain um, to our listeners how you were, how you got interested in studying the topic of creatine and how did it lead you to where you are today? Yeah, I, I was fortunate to uh, do my master's at the University of Saskatchewan under the uh, supervision of Dr. Chilibeck. And he was actually one of the first in the world to examine creatine combined with exercise in older in an older population and has shown you know, some great benefits with regards to enhancing muscle mass, strength, and also function as well. And then, um, during my master's as well, and one of uh, Dr. Chelebeck's former PhD students 
he came back to that university to run a couple smaller kind of performance studies. And that guy's name is Dr. Kandau. Oh. And you, you probably have seen his uh, publications with regards to creatine. I think um, I was trying to count up how many publications he had just examining creatine alone. And it's probably over 50. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And the most published researcher in the world, um, probably looking at creatine is Dr. Kandau. So one of the studies that we got involved with was looking at uh, creatine supplementation um, in younger individuals, just over 10 days, if we gave creatine, can it enhance upper body muscular uh, endurance? And we also looked at anaerobic performance as well. And we showed some benefits with regards to upper body endurance. So that's how I was first introduced to creatine. And then um, kind of since that time, I've, I've kept in touch with Darren and uh, I've kept uh, publishing with Phil uh, Chilibeck as well, Dr. Chilibeck. And uh, yeah, we've just kind of continued to explore creatine. And, and I think the reason for that is because of the great benefits. And as you've already mentioned, and as I've mentioned as well, beyond the muscle benefits as well. So things like bone and brain health. And it seems like every day there's a new potential benefit of taking creatine. So I just get excited um, with regards to that research. Yeah, it's truly fascinating. Um, and something I was listening to uh, was one of your previous podcasts. Um, and it's with um, Dr. Lauren, I'm going to botch his last name. Uh, yeah, Bannock. Bannock, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I was listening to your guys' podcast on there. And there's a lot of exploratory stuff that we haven't even examined, which is such a research topic, which is super fascinating. Um, but we're going to get into bringing some clarity within what we do know um, and kind of exploring from there, if that sounds good to you. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so to be brief and clear, I want to make things very clear for a lot of our listeners. Creatine is not a steroid. Um, we often get, uh, especially in the public, some fall fallacies that are really thrown out there with creatine. And you probably agree, you've heard a bunch of them all over the place. Um, but could you explain to listeners, since we're talking about creatine, and you could talk about creatine monohydrate specifically, but listen to what are, explain to our listeners what creatine is. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, misconceptions and myths associated with creatine. We actually had to publish, we felt like we had to publish a paper, which we did. Um, kind of exploring common questions and misconceptions associated with creatine. And one of the topics was, is creatine a steroid? So we had to actually show the science behind that. But of course, it's not a steroid. It's made up of three amino acids. So um, amino acids are the building blocks of protein. So those three amino acids are arginine, uh, glycine, and methionine, and requires two enzymes to essentially put those amino acids together. And then those amino acids can be taken up into the muscle or other cells as well, but about 95% of creatine is taken up into the muscle. And then that creatine can be converted into phosphocreatine. So about two thirds of creatine within the muscle is now converted to phosphocreatine. And essentially you can think of that as like stored potential energy. So anytime you're doing some sort of intense explosive activity, resistance training, uh, interval training, um, things like that, it breaks down phosphocreatine to replenish this molecule called ATP. So you can continue to do those types of activities. So yeah, so creatine is not a steroid. It's made up of three amino acids. Um, our body can uh, produce creatine from those three amino acids. So it can make creatine itself. Um, we can also get creatine in the diet as well. So eating primarily animal-based uh, uh, proteins. So things like meat, fish, um, poultry is a, a good source as well. Um, so those you can get in your diet. And then of course you can, you can supplement with creatine. So those are kind of the, I guess the three options, your body can make it, you can get it from food sources or supplement. Yeah. So um, we're going to dive into that a little bit more. And thank you for explaining that a little bit more in depth. Um, and just to kind of go into it, there are a couple different creatine products out there. 
Um, and we'll see if we get into them a little bit more, but we'll talk about um, some of those options here. But thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Okay, so going into, I know we were talking about the fallacies and just a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of misinformation out there. And like you said, the published work that you guys have done of understanding like what is fact versus myth, right? Um, one fallacy that I hear common is the risk of like an acute injury in athletes um, when consuming creatine. And how can we as health practitioners or just educating others improve um, how safe creatine is? How can we kind of navigate that conversation a little bit more for doctors or um, other practitioners who are looking at kind of lab numbers and in acute kidney injury? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, with regards to kidney injury, um, I have about uh, 12 different reviews on my desktop that all examine the safety of creatine with regards to kidney injury. And they all come to the same conclusion that uh, creatine is extremely safe. The one um, issue is that if you take creatine, creatine is broken down into creatinine. And then um, typically your, your liver or your kidneys clear out that creatinine. Um, but uh, if you're supplementing with creatine, you can have higher blood levels of creatinine. And a doctor might see that level and say, whoa, something's wrong with your kidneys. It's your kidneys are not clearing out that creatinine properly. And uh, so they, they just assume that you have some sort of kidney damage or kidney problem. But the reason is, is just because you've been supplementing with creatine. So it's a natural kind of response to just increase your blood creatine or creatinine levels mm -hmm. um, following creatine supplementation. And that does not actually indicate that you've done any damage to your kidneys. So it's uh, something to be, um, to kind of think about, I guess. And, and I guess a reason why this, uh, this uh, myth that creatine is bad for your kidneys has kind of persisted is, is possibly associated with that. Just um, the increase in creatinine levels and creatinine is that uh, it's an indirect marker of kidney damage. But when you supplement with creatine, it's, it's, it's kind of a useless marker, I guess, mm -hmm. or a misinterpreted marker. Um, so something for people to be aware of. But yeah, like I'd mentioned, there's been 20, 30 years of creatine supplementation looking at uh, kidney and liver health, and there is no adverse effects associated with creatine supplementation. Yeah, I really like how, how you highlighted that, especially with a healthcare practitioner of indirectly um, influencing kidney health, and especially with discussing, you know, maybe that's something that healthcare practitioners could ask a, a client or a patient is, are you taking creatine supplementation to maybe rule out that uh, as instead of assuming, right? Like, oh, well, you have high creatinine levels, like you said, and therefore you're having kidney injury. And like you said, the, the research of 20 or 30 years really sums up um, the efficacy and safety of it. So I'm, I'm really glad that you address that, Scott. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, another fallacy that I've kind of heard is with healthcare practitioners, specifically doctors. Uh, and I know this, you guys are going to kind of warn me of this, but it's on social media, specifically Twitter, <laughs> but they claim that creatine monohydrate has a dehydrating effect. Um, could you elaborate on how creatine monohydrate specifically may impact total body water content and not directly contribute to dehydration? Yeah. So that's another big myth associated with creatine. And I think the rationale was that you have a certain amount of, or the thought process was you have a certain amount of water within your body and creatine when brought into the muscle, it also brings water into the muscle. So you increase intracellular water content. And then they thought if you're exercising um, or in a hot environment, for example, and you need to sweat, then um, you need uh, extracellular extracellular water to do that. But if the water was trapped inside your muscle, then that would essentially lead to a problem in thermal regulation. 
and there was um, a thought process that maybe you would increase your risk of things like muscle cramps or heat illness or muscle strains. Um, but that's actually been completely disproven. Um, so another great researcher, uh, Rick Kreider, has uh, examined creatine supplementation quite a bit for the last, I'd say 20, 25 years, he's been doing creatine supplementation research. But he did, uh, he followed football players for a season. And those that took creatine actually had less muscle cramping. Um, they had less dehydration uh, issues. They had less um, muscle strains um, and less total number of injuries as well. So it went kind of complete opposite from what kind of the theory was. Um, and showed that, uh, yeah, creatine supplementation doesn't dehydrate you and it may actually be a benefit in a hot environment. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it if anything, it's the, like you said, opposite effect where we're seeing potentially improved hydration um, and overall improved performance and thermoregulation, which is great to hear. <laughs> we can't get much better than that, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but um, so, Let's, let's go into like, since we've discussed a couple myths, let's, let's talk about more of the application side of things. Um, so based on kind of current research recommendations, you just referenced Dr. Kreider and his research and the International Society of Sports and Nutrition. They do a great job of really um, like going through all of this. Um, but currently, based on the recommendations, what's the most effective, proto most effective protocol that you're seeing uh, for muscle saturation in athletes. And from what I have been seeing, it's 0.3 grams per kilogram body weight for, for saturation. Is this still true or are they finding out higher loading protocols or is there anything different that you're seeing? Yeah, there's very few actually dose response studies. Um, but there was one really good one where they looked at, it was actually in the 1990s, Paul Greenhalf, a UK researcher, he looked at if you did a loading phase, so you take 20 grams a day for five days, and then he went down to a maintenance dose of three grams a day um, versus just con uh, consuming three grams a day um, for 28 days. You got to the same muscle saturation level at the end of both those dosing protocols. So whether you did that loading phase or not, mm -hmm. um, or you just took a lower dose, but after 28 days, so it might take a little bit longer to get up to that saturation level. That's an effective strategy. Um, individuals or researchers um, have an idea that maybe a relative dose would be better. And so relative just means relative to your body weight. Mm -hmm. So instead of taking three grams or five grams, that's like an absolute dose, mm -hmm. you would take it relative to your body weight, like you mentioned. So 0 0.03 or uh, grams per kilogram of body weight per day of creatine. Um, that would be one relative dosing strategy. Most of our research, so uh, when I collaborate with uh, Darren Kando, we actually use 0.1 grams per kilogram per day of, of creatine. Um, so that kind of accounts for a bigger person might require a little bit more creatine. And we've actually just looked at some of the data in older adults. So we haven't published this yet. Sure. Um, so we're just kind of looking at it, but cool. uh, we showed that in older adults, if you take a slightly higher amount of creatine, that you get uh, bigger and stronger lower body adaptations when you combine it with exercise compared to consuming lower doses of creatine. So for certain populations, um, certain muscle groups, maybe dosing needs to be a little bit higher than, um, than what we've traditionally done. But most studies out there use five grams per day. And that's kind of a simple number. And we know it's effective. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, dosing is, is not, it's, it's not super clear in the literature. Mm -hmm. And then we also know, like I, I mentioned previously, that creatine potentially can impact bone health and can also impact brain health as well. And we have no idea about dosing with regards to those two tissues. So creatine at the muscle, we have some idea, um, but with, with regards to bone and brain health, we, we have absolutely no idea. It's the next, next thing. Um, yeah. 
So my question is to follow up off of that. Why do you think that older populations would need a higher dosage kind of based off of the data that you're seeing? Yeah. So they actually have lower amounts of creatine within their muscle. Sure. Um, particularly in their quadricep muscles. Um, there's other muscles like their gastrox or calves where they've shown to have similar amounts between aging individuals and, um, and younger individuals, but quadriceps seems like they have, or vastus lateralis, the quad on the, the muscle on the outside of your uh, quads, um, seems to have lower amounts of creatine in older adults compared to younger adults. So creatine might actually be more effective in an aging population than, um, than in a younger population. And perhaps that's one reason why um, older adults just need more because they have less in their muscles. They need more to saturate their muscles. Sure. That makes sense. And I, I was listening, like I said earlier to your, your podcast previously, and you also mentioned uh, vegan or vegetarian uh, populations with creatine supplementation um, due to diet. Um, and they respond actually, um, you, you guys mentioned faster. I, I'm not sure if it was faster or, or had a higher response. I wasn't sure, but could you elaborate on, on that a little bit more in depth? Yeah, for sure. So typically vegetarians have a lower amount of creatine within their muscles just because they don't consume obviously animal-based products and that's um, our food sources for creatine. Mm -hmm. So if they take creatine and perform exercise, they tend to respond better than somebody who consumes uh, animal-based products. Um, but the one thing to consider is your responses from your baseline strength levels to post-supplementation and post-training levels. Um, but if you're starting at lower creatine levels, that could be associated with lower strength. And so maybe you're just catching up to um, sure. omnivores or people that consume animal-based products. So it might be a bit of uh, controversy um, whether vegetarians or vegans actually have lower strength. Sure, I'm, I can see what you're saying. I'm not 100% sure that that occurs, <laughs> right. um, but um, they do tend to respond better. So some of the research was done by Dr. Darren Burke and Darren Kando in the early 2000s, where they actually showed in vegetarians that they respond better to creatine supplementation. And then actually my, my PhD supervisor, um, Dr. Gordon Bell and Dan Siratak, uh, Dan one of his... Uh, um, colleagues, they actually looked at responsiveness to creatine and they showed two main factors. One was your baseline level of, of creatine within your muscle. So if you have lower amounts of creatine within your muscle, you tend to respond better to creatine. And the other factor was if you had more type two uh, muscle fiber types. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are your fast twitch explosive muscles. And once that would be important for explosive activities like lifting weights and running upstairs. And they could also store the, the most amount of creatine within those uh, muscles as well. So those two factors are, are important for responsiveness. One, your baseline levels and two, your fiber type. Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, just to kind of bounce off of that question with certain athletes, um, like a sprinter or a fast twitch individual, um, are they figuring that there is a higher, like I said, dosing strategy, very similar to what you're seeing with older adults, even because they could store more. Is there, what are you seeing for that? Yeah. So that would be a, a great, uh, logical rationale. And I think we need to research that more. Um, there's been an interest in looking at creatine supplementation in endurance athletes mm -hmm. and, uh, from, from our knowledge of who responds better to creatine, typically it's the individuals with more type two muscle fibers. So endurance athletes, we would assume have lower amounts of type two muscle fibers, mm -hmm. but there could be other kind of benefits with regards to creatine supplementation for endurance athletes. And we also know that part of, uh, endurance exercise, especially in a race situation, they do bursts of activity. So they try to gap somebody in a cycling race or um, surge at the finish line, for example, to try to win the race. 
And in those instances, uh, maybe creatine is actually really important. So uh, there's some evidence to suggest that creatine could be a benefit for endurance athletes. But as you've mentioned, and I, I think that would be a, a logical and fine to say that sprint athletes might respond better to creatine supplementation than uh, endurance athletes. Sure, sure. That that absolutely makes sense. I, I think uh, an, another interesting population. So we're in Colorado specifically, but uh, we have a ton of endurance athletes and we're in Colorado Springs. So we see a lot of Olympic athletes that are, are training out here, but um, in Colorado Springs specifically, we have mountain biking in Canada too, obviously can't mountain biking is an interesting sport, but I could see with that uh, of having the sprint towards the finish line where, cause we have a lot of mountain bikers who listen to this podcast. So if you guys are thinking about creatine supplementation, get that last effort in an enduro race, that's, this is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. And there was actually a, a recent study looking at uh, creatine and they called them semi-professional mountain bikers, mm. um, but they actually showed uh, better cognition so they could react oh. faster and make decisions quicker, which would be obviously important in a mountain biking race when you have to <laughs> do things super quick or you might die. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it could be a benefit um, from a brain perspective but also obviously where you do that burst of activity where you just explode for short periods of time, creatine could be a really important, uh, great, a great benefit during those situations for sure. Yeah. I, I love it. I love getting into it. The more, the more there's so much opportunity for research and uh, applications. So I love it. So let's talk about the effectiveness of cycling. So a lot of the, t- we have a lot of bodybuilders who also listen to this podcast um, and they're for the most part taking creatine. Um, but what is the effectiveness of cycling creatine in long-term use? I know you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier of, you know, you ultimately get to the, the muscle saturation where it's relatively equal. Are they seeing anything that's different or that's still about the same with essentially loading the muscles with creatine or is the cycling more beneficial? Talk about that a little bit more in depth. Yeah. So Kind of the thought process is that, uh, again, it takes, well, it depends if you do a, a loading phase, you take 20 grams, you can actually saturate your muscles in about five to seven days. And then typically people will go to a maintenance, maintenance dose after that. But if you just take a low dose, it'll take 28 days to saturate your muscles. And then once your muscles are saturated, we actually know it takes about four to six weeks for the creatine levels within your muscle to return to baseline. So some people thought that, okay, this is like, this is great. I could take creatine for four weeks and then I could cycle off creatine for four weeks. And while I'm cycling off creatine, it's slowly dropping down and returning to baseline. And that's a fine strategy to do. If, if, you, if you want to do that, you could save a little bit of money and just consume creatine half your life instead of every single day. But uh, there's actually been no research to compare if you cycle creatine to if you take creatine continuously. Um, but that being said, we've actually done studies. The longest one I've been involved with was 32 weeks. Um, but uh, my colleagues, uh, Dr. Kandow and, and Phil Chilebeck, have done two-year studies where they've given creatine every single day for two years and they show great benefits from doing that. Um, do you have to do that? We're not a hundred percent sure. Again, I have some unpublished data where we looked at all the studies that just took creatine on training days versus uh, a placebo. And they actually get pretty good benefits from a muscle strength and muscle mass perspective, just consuming creatine on training days. Hmm. So maybe um, you don't have to cycle, worry about cycling on and off and, you know, what phase am I in, all those things. Um, maybe you don't have to consume creatine every single day. Just take it on training days and you can still uh, get the effectiveness associated with creatine. Sure, that that absolutely makes sense. So with that kind of being said, with the cycling off of creatine specifically, um, it, you said it takes three to three to four weeks or is it four weeks? Yeah, four to six weeks. Four to six weeks. Yeah, muscle creatine content to uh, return back to baseline. Mm -hmm. So you supplement it with creatine, it's gone up about 20% within your muscle, and you wait four weeks 
until it returns to baseline levels. Right. Right. Perfect. So that that the so there is is there a half life for creatine? Is that is that kind of what you're saying with with that? Yeah, exactly. From from a muscle uh, perspective, yeah. Okay. So okay. we also know that there's half life within the blood as well. But uh, yeah, from the muscle perspective, I think the most important thing is that yeah, it takes about four weeks for it to return to baseline. So if you want to cycle on and off creatine just to save a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. um, or for example, let's say you're a hardcore bodybuilder and you miss a day and you're like, what, I missed a day of creatine. Like I can't go work out. Right. Trust me, you're perfectly fine. And it actually takes, like I mentioned, four to six weeks for uh, that saturation level to return to baseline. So if you miss a day or two, it's, you're, must, you're not gonna fall apart because of that. Right. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, uh, if a, individual has been on creatine religiously for years. I, one thing that I would like for you to discuss is kind of the long-term um, efficacy of that. Is what you're seeing with that effective of taking every day for several years? And I know there's some research out there that is saying yes. Um, and if so, would taking it longer periods of every single day for five or 10 years be effective or is there a strategy that you should come off or what are you kind of seeing from that side of things? Yeah. So the longest uh, I've seen in the, in the literature was 5.6 years mm -hmm. where somebody has taken creatine and they were actually looking at uh, liver and kidney function mm -hmm. and they showed that it was perfectly fine in that individual who took it religiously for uh, 5.6 years. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty long time. Yeah. If it's not impacting that over five years, then it's, probably not having an impact on on your kidney or liver mm -hmm. um but yeah from an efficacy efficacy standpoint that's uh that's an interesting question and i'm not too sure <laughs> i'm uh, i'm not too sure uh if it has a greater impact in the first um, month of training for example my assumption that is that it probably would be that's when you're you're saturating your muscles with creatine um but ultimately you'll still get gains even after the first four weeks from creatine mm -hmm. because you're just having a little bit more potential energy within the muscle. And then creatine also works through a variety of other mechanisms at the muscle level as well. Mm -hmm. That could be a benefit for muscle growth and muscle performance. Um, so I think it's always an advantage <laughs> to have creatine within, within your muscle. Absolutely. Especially I see it from the, the skeletal muscle standpoint, but also um, your research and your information on uh, also cardiac muscle um, and even brain function is something that I know we've been kind of bouncing around different topics, um, but especially in, in cardiac-based patients, um, something that I think you guys are seeing, and it's not really applied directly that I've seen, but could you talk about the effects of damaging effects of like heart disease and the recovery process with cardiac muscle. Yeah. So the great thing about creatine is that, uh, it doesn't require or oxygen to produce ATP. So it can produce energy ATP, um, anaerobically. And so let's say you have uh, some sort of tissue, um, that's getting a lack of oxygen, like your heart, for example, if it had more creatine, then that could potentially, um, provide more energy to that tissue during those times of stress. And there could be of, uh, of benefit from a heart perspective, for example, with regards to creatine supplementation. And that's that similar mechanisms actually been shown with regards to pregnancy as well. So um, they've shown it in mums that take creatine during uh, the third trimester that potentially if the baby was cut off uh, from oxygen during the, the delivery process, there could be a benefit with regards to creatine supplementation um, in those particular situations. Wow. How cool is that? That is, yeah. that's super, super amazing. Um, so going into a couple of our last questions here. So let's talk about um, your research on creatine timing. You know, we talked about that here. I've had individuals who, like I said, have had been resistance training for several years and they asked the question, should I take creatine? before or after my workout to get the best effect? Are you 
I'm sure that that's something that's currently debated pretty, pretty highly. And I know another Dr. Pete Fishin is someone who I've worked with and asked a lot of questions and he said, he's not sure. So I want to hear your opinion <laughs> on, on this. Yeah. So my opinions actually changed a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, we did a review in, in 2018, looking at uh, the studies that looked at creatine before training and after training. And we found that those studies um, tended to show slightly better adaptations when you took creatine after training. And so uh, then I was like, oh yeah, this is like, this is great. Like, let's try to confirm this with a better design. So there, those three studies used what's known as a between subject design. So for example, I would take creatine before training, train for 10 weeks, and I would look at how big and strong my muscles got. You would uh, be randomized to creatine after training, and you would train for 10 weeks and see how big your muscles and how big your muscles got and how strong your muscles got. Mm -hmm. And what we, when we looked at those studies, what we found was after was slightly better. But is that because, really, is that because of the timing? Or is that because we're different people? Maybe we just had a different response. Um, sure. We have different genetics. We have different uh, dietary intake. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, I just finished a within subject design. And so that's where I made them train one side of their body uh, one, uh, once. Um, and then they would get creatine before training on that side of the body. They would train the next day with the other side of their body and they'd get creatine after training. They trained both sides of their body twice per week for eight weeks. And so this was a better design to control for genetics, to control sure. for dietary intake, all those things that could potentially impact um, growth and, and adaptations. And we actually found no difference between timing. Wow. Okay. So, um, so that was, uh, we were like, what? After supposed to be better. <laughs> That's what we thought. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, now we know that uh, basically using a really strong um, scientific design that uh, that creatine timing doesn't really matter. So that's also pretty good for people to know that you can take it before training or after training. And we actually just published a paper last year showing that you can take creatine mm -hmm. during training as well. Yep. So after each set, you just take a sip of creatine and you can uh, reap all the benefits from creatine supplementation by taking it during exercise. But I would still suggest to people to take it close to training, but before, during, or after, doesn't really matter. Perfect. Yeah, so that clears up a lot. Okay, I really like that's important to, especially for those who like to read into the research of understanding the study too, um, of actually doing it on the same individual versus like you said, in between different people. Yeah. Um, so thanks for sharing that and clearing up a lot of controversy with that. Cause I get asked that quite a bit, <laughs> but like you said, around the same time as your training, um, and like you said, pre during or post it, it really works any other way. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's get into creatine monohydrate. We've been talking about it pretty much referencing it the whole time. Um, with creatine monohydrate, um, I know we kind of talked about nutritional timing and pairing, but are you seeing a benefit of pairing it with carbohydrates or any other supplementation to help with performance um, or just creatine monohydrate in water or even uh, a different temperature of the water um, along those lines? Or is there any specific benefit uh, to, to optimize the creatine saturation? Yeah, so an, another great uh, study was done by Dr. Darren Burke and Dr. Darren Kandow, people I've mentioned a few times, mm -hmm. um, but they combined creatine with protein and they found greater benefits from a muscle and strength adaptation standpoint. Um, we know that if you take protein and or carbohydrates, you can stimulate insulin and that's gonna help with creatine uptake. So. I think that would be of particular importance if you're trying to increase creatine into the muscle as quickly as possible, or um, just trying to maximize that, then that's, that's one um, strategy to do so. So you take creatine with protein and or carbohydrates, and you can increase the amount of creatine within the muscle. The other thing that it does actually is increase the amount of carbohydrates that's actually stored in the muscle. So for endurance wow. athletes or mountain bikers, mm -hmm. we know that uh, 
before a big uh, race, you need to consume pasta to fill your muscles with a bunch of carbs, get as much muscle glycogen. Well, if you take creatine, you can actually get more carbohydrates into the muscle and possibly that could influence performance as well. Sure. So with that being said, would you want to match your water intake with your carbohydrates and creatine to ensure that you have an adequate amount of water intake? Or is there a loading protocol for water that would be beneficial that you're seeing with that? Yeah. So um, with regards to mixing creatine, usually I just mix it with water mm -hmm. um, and then throw some protein powder in there or something like that, or right. consume it with a meal. Yeah. Um, but when you mix it with water, it depends on the temperature of the water. So the warmer the water, the easier it is for creatine monohydrate to dissolve. Um, so that's one thing to be aware of. So if you have ice cold water and you throw creatine in there, you're like, come on, you can't mix it up. Um, and it's uh, kind of chalky and like you get all that grainy um, between your teeth. Um, so just one strategy is just kind of warm that water up a little bit and then it's easier to mix. Um, typically I just consume it with about uh, 200 to 300 milliliters of water, about five grams of creatine. And that's sufficient to mix that creatine and then you can ingest it at that point. Awesome. So one question that, um, especially when I was in undergrad is in sports nutrition, they had a controversy of caffeine and creatine. And so, uh, they, the, the claim was at the time, this was several years ago. Um, but it was that caffeine diminishes the effects of creatine. And I know now it's a little bit different and I know kind of the truth, but could you explain to our listeners, um, what your, what the truth is behind that and information regarding caffeine and creatine together. Yeah. yeah. So there's actually been very few studies on creatine and caffeine um, combined, and most of them are short-term, but when they look at a muscle perspective within the muscle, you have this uh, part of the muscle known as your sarcoplasmic reticulum that releases calcium. Um, but creatine and caffeine actually have opposing effects on that sarcoplasmic reticulum. And so there was a thought process that maybe taking creatine and caffeine at the exact same time uh, could be detrimental because they're kind of trying to do different uh, things within the muscle. And so we actually just ran a training study. It was the first training study to look at creatine um, and caffeine. So there's a creatine caffeine group, a creatine only group, a caffeine only group and a placebo group. So uh, we had a lot of groups and we tried to recruit as many people as possible, but uh, obviously uh, COVID-19 kind of shut down our, our research a bit. So we're limited by the number of uh, participants within the study, mm -hmm. but we actually found that um, there was a better effect if you just took creatine, um, particularly with regards to quadricep muscle adaptation, muscle thickness adaptations. Um, compared to if you took creatine and caffeine at the exact same time. So um, from there, I, I, I'm not too sure what the next kind of questions are, or maybe we need to do a, a bigger study to confirm that, to say that taking creatine and caffeine at the same time is perhaps bad. But maybe a, a strategy is just to consume caffeine before your training and consume creatine after your training. Um, that would be kind of my uh, practical solution for sure. our study that uh, actually just, it just came out like yesterday, um, wow. looking at the, the combined effects of creatine and caffeine. So, wow, we're on top of it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's a great application mention uh, that you, that you talk about, especially with um, many athletes or even uh individuals who are recreational bodybuilders who are out there trying to buy supplements that may have creatine and caffeine in it is like Dr. Scott said is trying creatine or trying caffeine before training and creatine after as long. And we know that, uh, as long as we take it, uh, before, during, or after creatine is effective, like we talked about. So thanks for sharing that. And also expressing your, your release, <laughs> I feel like you just dropped a new album, but <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty uh, exciting. We're pretty pumped to get that one out. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for, yeah. Thanks for doing the research on that. I mean, you don't get that enough, uh, yeah. but you, this is, 
this is why we want to make sure we're bringing this uh, this information to you guys. So if you're listening here, this is awesome. So, all right. So last thing here before um, this is our last question here before we let you go here. Um, are you seeing any uh, res uh, research indicating a loading protocol prior to resistance training or post resistance training? We kind of talked about you know timing with that of uh, you know, whether we take it pre, uh, during or post, but is there like a certain amount of creatine that we want to take prior that would be potentially beneficial, very similar to like you were talking about earlier with on training days, taking specific, um, taking creatine on that day. Would you say, say that there's a loading dosage if you're resistance training that may be effective? Um, my simple answer to that question is no. Um, just, yeah, you can take creatine, as I mentioned before, during or after, and on training days, you don't need to up your creatine intake. Um, that's, uh, that's not uh, a required strategy. Um, however, I would suggest that if you're not exercising, we've actually just did a review looking at the effects of creatine in people that don't exercise. So why did we do that? Well, um, obviously we know exercise is, is really beneficial and combining creatine with exercise, you get kind of further benefits, but a lot of adults don't exercise. So we're like, can this, can creatine actually be a benefit if you don't exercise? So we did a review and seven out of 11 studies actually showed some muscle performance benefit, um, with regards to creatine supplementation, even if you don't exercise. Wow. Okay. And when we look closely at those studies, like why do those seven studies show a benefit and four studies show no benefit? It looks like the studies that used a, a slightly higher dose or uh, did a loading phase, mm -hmm. they tend to show a better muscle performance response. Um, so yeah, so maybe if you don't exercise, um, I, I don't know why you would ever wanna do that. That's a horrible <laughs> way to live. Exercise is so important for you. Right. Don't exercise, taking a, a loading phase or a higher dose of creatine may be required. So do you, going off of that, that specific review, were the uh, adults having the same amount of NEAT or um, just daily uh, physical activity? Um, was that controlled or how, how was that done? I guess I'm not familiar. Yeah, so it. those studies just didn't... Uh, didn't prescribe a, an exercise program. Um, so like we know that if you get a prescribed exercise program, like resistance training, for example, and they mm -hmm. make you do it two or three times a week, you can get uh, bigger benefits if you take creatine. But in those particular studies, they just said uh, uh, they're sedentary individuals that didn't uh, perform any structured physical activity. Okay, okay. Um, so that's how they define it. But there's actually some interesting studies to show um, in rats, for example, that if they gave these rats creatine, it increased energy expenditure. And they showed that it might be a benefit um, for controlling obesity or to help sure. you with fat loss. Mm -hmm. We've also did a review um, in older adults looking at the effects of creatine with resistance training on fat mass. Mm -hmm. And we showed that if you consumed creatine you, tend, you tended to lose about a half kilogram more fat mass than if you just uh, consumed a placebo and performed resistance training. Um, so there might be some benefits with regards to creatine, not only on muscle, bone, and brain, but also on adipose or fat tissue as sure. well. Yeah. Would you say that's related to a lot of insulin sensitivity with, with creatine? Or would you say uh, because of a potential saturation in the muscles? Um, or how would you kind of explain that rationale? Yeah, so the rat research was pretty cool. They actually blocked the creatine transporter at the adipocyte, so at the fat tissue. Mm -hmm. And when they did that, these rats, they, uh, they gained weight. And they also reduced their energy expenditure. So we know from energy balance that it's energy in versus energy out. So they reduced their energy out. Right, okay. It was pretty interesting. So um yeah, I don't know the, the precise mechanism. Sure, sure. I just, uh, yeah, I know that this research exists where they, they just destroyed the creatine transporter at the adipocyte. Wow. And these, these mice came, became obese, um, which was uh, 
really interesting. So then we did the review in, in older adults and showed that if you took creatine and performed exercise, you lost about a half kilogram more fat mass than if you just uh, performed exercise. So we're like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Now, with that being said, was there a certain uh, amount of, I know you're talking about earlier of 0.1 grams, I think per kilogram that you were giving the older adults. Is this, is this very similar protocol that you were doing? Yeah, so it was, a, it was a systematic review. So we looked oh, okay. at all the studies that were done in older adults. So there, I believe there was 21 studies that were included. Okay. I used a, a variety of different dosing protocols. Yeah. So either way, <laughs> I, I like it. No matter the dosage, I think, like you said, the benefits are just showing extreme benefits <laughs> in so many different ways. Yeah. So, so last thing here, uh, we can't thank you enough for being on our podcast here today. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about creatine um, or any other information here today? Yeah, so I, I think just uh, creatine is an extremely safe supplement. It's one of the safest supplements on the market. And there seems to be a growing list of number of benefits associated with creatine. So um, we've touched on today some of the benefits from a muscle perspective, but creatine can also improve bone health and brain function, particularly in stressed situations. So if you're sleep deprived or um, mental fatigue, so a lot of people are in those situations right now that creatine could be of, of great benefit. There's also been some studies looking at creatine and depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and showing some benefit associated with that. So uh, yeah, the list continues to grow with regards to the benefits of creatines. Um, and the, the, uh, the risk associated with creatine is quite low. So the benefits are quite high and the risks are quite low. So I suggest people um, consider supplementing with it and at least trying it out. I love it. Well, thank you, Dr. Scott, for being on our podcast today. And we really, really appreciate, like, you, like we've talked about here today, all of the information and the safety and dispelling a lot of myths and giving the truth to bring clarity to coaching. Um, I'll provide his information in our description in the podcast, but if you guys have any questions, please let us know and we'd love to answer them for you. Okay. 